Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we continue our Lenten sermon series, Easter in the First Person. How did the events of Holy Week and Easter look like to those who were there? Today we hear the story of Jesus' cousin, better known to us as John the Baptist. Join us now for the message, John the Not-So-Southern Baptist. Good morning and welcome here to worship at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. What happens when you follow God's call on your life? Well, I tell you, you may end up in a cell with a rat named Herod. We'll be talking about that just a little bit later in our service. Our scriptures re- scripture readings this morning come from the Gospels of Luke and Mark. And our first reading starts in Luke chapter 3, verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. And the crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to him, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation. And be satisfied with your wages. From Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And from Luke chapter 3, verse 18. So with many other exhortations, John proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod, the ruler who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all of the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John in prison. This is the word of God for the people of God. I share my prison cell with a rat. I've named him Herod. Now you might have heard of that name before because it was a big old fat rat that imprisoned me. My name is John, son of Zachariah, but many of you know me as John the Baptist. I'm currently being held in a cell in Macurus, the fortress of Herod, or in this case, the the fortress of Herod Antipas. Now this can be very confusing because so many have gone by the name of Herod. 
The great King Herod the Great was king of the Jews, or at least that's what he liked to call himself. That's what the Roman overlords let him call himself. They didn't care what he called himself as long as he kept the peace there in Palestine. And Herod the Great had 13 sons, four of which he named Herod. After his death, which was shortly before I was born, the son known as Herod Antipas became the ruler of the Jewish region of Galilee and the Gentile region of Perea, which is, it lies just east of the Dead Sea, and it's in Perea where I'm now being held. I made the mistake of publicly criticizing Herod Antipas in public. Herod Antipas didn't care all that much in fact, actually, after I'd been in prison, he has now often called for me, and we have often talked at length about many things, but his wife loathes me. Or should I say his second wife loathes me. You see, initially, Herod Antipas had married the daughter of the king of Petra, but this princess of Petra was not the woman who kept his interest. No, his roving eye had settled upon the wife of his half-brother, ironically also named Herod, but in this case, Herod Philip. And Herod Philip was married to his niece, which also made, him, made her then the niece of Herod Antipas as well, which made her the granddaughter of Herod the Great, and she was also named after Herod. In this case, Herodias. You can't make this stuff up. So Herod Antipas divorced his first wife while Herodias divorced Herod Philip. Then Herodias and Herod Antipas got married. It was a, a spectacle and it was a disgrace. And it eventually led to war. You see, the king of Petra was incensed that his daughter had been thrust aside so disrespectfully and many interpreted Herod Antipas's eventual defeat as God's punishment for marrying his brother's wife, which was a clear violation of Jewish law. All I can say is I tried to warn him. I tried to warn everyone, because that's, you see, what I was born to do, warn everyone that it was time to repent, though my early life actually suggested a far different future. You see, I was the only child of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and a descendant of priests. My father was a priest, and my mother came from one of the great priestly families from right outside of Jerusalem. But that may not be quite as impressive as it sounds. You see, we're all descendants of that first great priest of Israel, Aaron, Aaron the brother of Moses. Every direct male descendant of Aaron throughout Israel's history is automatically a priest from birth, but 1,200 years later, by the time my father was born, that meant there were approximately 20,000 priests. Now, it was only the priests who were, off, who were authorized to offer sacrifices there in the great temple in Jerusalem. But seeing as how there were 20,000 of them, each of the 24 sections consisting of hundreds of priests each, then each section could only serve for twice a year, and even then there was no way that each individual could serve. So to remedy the situation, what they ended up doing is casting lots to see who would have the honor of serving in that section on any given day. And so one day, the lot finally fell on my father 
and he had the opportunity to serve in the temple. Now, this must have been a real relief to him. It was proof because he had been chosen by lots. It was proof, therefore, that he was chosen by God, chosen by God for this holy purpose. And therefore, somewhat of an antidote to then what he had, and his wife had been accused of. You see, even though they had led very good and righteous lives, they'd never been able to have children. And according to a lot of people, that meant that they were cursed by God. And by now, they were both pushing 60, and it looked like they were never going to have children. And so it was while serving in the temple that day that my father had a vision of the angel Gabriel prophesying my birth. He had gone into the sanctuary in order to offer a sacrifice of incense. He was to go inside, offer the incense, then come back out and offer a benediction to the people. So as my father approached the incense altar inside the sanctuary, then there suddenly appeared an angel just standing to the right of the incense stand, and my father was terrified. But the angel said, as angels often do, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. Well, the angel went on to say that his son, that is me, would be this great man of God and a source of immense joy and gladness. I would evidently lead many to repentance, and I would prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. I would do this by embodying the spirit and power of the prophet Elijah. Even before my birth, I was to be filled with the Holy Spirit. My father responded with a rather understandable question, at least I thought so. How is this to be so, for I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years? But instead of getting a good answer to this question, Gabriel said that he would remain speechless until the day I was born. So for nine months, my father did not utter a single word. But after I was born, he regained his speech, and after that, he never gave up an opportunity to tell the story about how the angel Gabriel had predicted that his son was going to become this great man who would body the spirit of the great prophet Elijah and prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And in my father's mind, this meant I was destined to be some sort of great priest. You see, my father was very proud of being a priest, even if he only rarely got to serve. He loved going into Jerusalem, and he loved giving tours uh, at the temple to all of our out-of-town guests, and that included my cousin Jesus and his family. You know, I thought I had, a, I had it bad trying to live up to some bizarre story of my birth, but evidently the story that my older cousin Mary had told about the birth of Jesus made even my father's story of the angel Gabriel the temple look tame by comparison. You see, Mary claimed that six months after my father met Gabriel in the temple, then that same angel Gabriel came to her as well and said that her son, Jesus, would reclaim the throne of David, ancient Israel's greatest king, and of his kingdom there would be no end. Now, how do you grow up hearing a story like that your whole life? But Jesus, he took it all in stride. It was a story that he just seemed to accept with I thought, an amazing degree of calmness. In fact, Jesus was almost, I mean, he was, he was like the most grounded person I had ever met. 
even when we were kids. Now, three times a year, Jews would all come to Jerusalem to celebrate the three great festivals. And the year Jesus turned 12 was the first time he came up to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And by this time, I was 13. And this was the time that we met for the first time. And you know, even though I was the older of the two, I was the son of a priest, I had grown up there, right there in this great city of Jerusalem. And Jesus was the one who came from this backwater village of Nazareth. Jesus was the one that really always came off as being older and really much more at ease in the world. When my father took Jesus to go see the temple for the first time, I expected him to gape at the size of the temple and to be amazed at all of the money changers and all of the flocks of sacrificial animals. Frankly, I expected him to be a little intimidated because that's what happened when most people came and saw the temple for the very first time. But Jesus, he was quiet and very intense. And he was just looking at everything around him as if he were trying to take in every single detail. Well, a few days later, the strangest thing happened. After Passover was over, Mary and Jesus and Joseph got up early to go back to Nazareth. But late, late that night, Mary and Joseph came back to our house frantically asking if we knew where Jesus was. But we hadn't seen Jesus since the crack of dawn that morning. And they told the story of how they had been walking all day to go back to Nazareth. They'd stopped for the evening. And it was then that they realized that not only had they not seen Jesus all day, nobody else in their entire group from Nazareth had seen Jesus and they had no idea where Jesus was. They turned to me and asked me if I had any idea where he was, but I was just as clueless as they were. Mary and Joseph searched everywhere for Jesus for three days before finding him in, of all places, the temple. They came back to our house that evening to spend the night before heading out back to Nazareth the next morning, this time never letting Jesus out of their sight. But as we lay there together in, on our mats that night, I whispered to Jesus and asked, why had he stayed behind in the temple? He said that he had gotten up extra early that morning to go see the temple one last time before going back to Nazareth. But when he tried to get back to our house, he just he got lost. And he just figured the best thing for him to do was to go back to the temple. Surely if he was missing, his parents would know to find him there. After all, wouldn't they know to find him in his father's house? Well, this was really weird to me because I couldn't think of anything anywhere that I would prefer not to be. My father was a priest, so for me, going to the temple was just really no big deal. What made my spirit soar was to go out into the desert and explore the hills and the creeks and the wadis. That's where I felt closest to God. So as teenagers, whenever Jesus came to Jerusalem, we would find time together to go out and walk the desert hills outside the city. And there we would talk for hours. We talked about all the expectations that our parents had for us, about the pressure that was on us to fulfill these special missions that we seemed to have been chosen for from birth. While the pressure filled me with anxiety, like I said, Jesus was strangely calm about it all. He had faith that when the time was right, 
God would lead him forward on the path that was set before him. I would talk to Jesus about how much I did not want to be a priest, but how being in the city made me feel like I was going to suffocate. But my father was convinced that not only would I be a great priest somehow, I was going to be someone truly special. He even said maybe that I would even become high priest. How could I be high priest when the idea of slaughtering those sacrificial animals and being covered with all that blood made my stomach turn? Well, one day when we were out walking in the desert, Jesus said something to me that made me stop in my tracks. He said to me, According to my father, Gabriel had said that I would be a great man of God and a source of immense joy and gladness. I would lead many to repentance, prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. I would embody the spirit and power of the great prophet Elijah and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right, I said. How can I ever live up to that? I don't want to be a priest. John, he replied, Gabriel never told your father that you would do this by becoming a priest. You feel God most closely, most closely when you're in the wilderness. Maybe it's from the wilderness that you'll call the people to repentance. After all, if it's Elijah's spirit that you're going to embody, well, you need to remember that it was in the wilderness that Elijah heard God's call in that still small voice. I heard that and it was like a fire had been lit to finally illuminate my path. And I now could finally envision what it is that God had in store for me in my life. And the anxiety that I carried in my heart at that moment just melted into a quiet resolve. Now I never told my father that I had no intention of serving as a priest then. Since my parents were older when I was born, both of them then died before I turned 20. I took my very small inheritance and I headed for the desert. And there I dwelt simply with nothing but a camel hair tunic and a leather belt for clothing. And I lived off the land, eating out of the abundance of the desert. After all, in the desert, you can find plenty of locusts for dinner and wild honey for dessert. Now, don't get, get me wrong, I missed my parents but I had never been happy in my life. And it was in the wilderness that I started my ministry. I called the people to repentance to change how they lived their lives. You see, it wasn't enough just to be simply one of the chosen people. You had to turn yourselves, your whole lives over to God and lead lives of holiness. You see, the Lord was about to do a new thing in this world and we needed to be ready. And so they asked me, how then should we live? Well, if you have more than one coat, give to the one who has none. If you have food, share it. If you're a tax collector, don't collect any more than what is due. If you're a soldier, treat others fairly and never use your authority to abuse or extort others. And then be baptized as a sign of your intention to lead a new life. People asked me if I was the Messiah, and I said, no, no, someone far greater than I are going to fill those shoes. As the prophet Isaiah said, I am simply the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. 
Well, one day I looked up and I could not believe my eyes. My cousin Jesus had come out into the wilderness to visit me and present himself for baptism. He had felt that it was now God's, God's time for him to begin his ministry. And he couldn't think of anyone that he would rather help inaugurate his new path than the cousin that he hiked the hills with as a boy. As I baptism, baptized him, I swear I could see the Spirit of God alight upon him like a dove. And I heard a voice say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus stayed with me that night. The next day, he was going to go out into the wilderness alone and spend some time preparing himself for what lie ahead. And so for one last time, just as we had done as boys, we lay next to each other in the dark and we talked about our callings from God and the predictions that had been made before we were even born. We both felt that we were now fulfilling the missions that God had given us, even though we laughed that we realized that we were fulfilling our missions in a way that no one had ever predicted. That was the last night I ever saw my cousin. Jesus went off into the wilderness and I was arrested just a few weeks later. Though the angel Gabriel had appeared to our parents with special revelations, you know, since I've been in prison, I've just began to think, you know, I think all people are called by God. All people are called to be ministers of the Lord. You might even say priests of the Lord toward the world. Each one of us has our callings, and while our callings may look different, in a way we're all called in essence to prepare the way for the Lord. If we have two coats, give one away. If we have food, share it. If we have any kind of authority or power or privilege in this world, then use it for good and not for selfish gain. As I sit here in this prison cell, I can hear that Herod Antipas is having some sort of party upstairs. The guests are getting louder and louder as I'm sure, no doubt, the wine is now flowing. I can hear the music starting and it's getting so loud that even Herod the rat has scampered away. Oh, and now I can hear the guests clapping. I just bet you that Herod Antipas's stepdaughter Salome has now been asked to dance. And now I can hear one of the guards has come to talk to the jailer and he's being asked to be let into my cell. Well, I bet old Herod Antipas has asked for me to come up to the party. I guess he sees me as some sort of entertainment for his guests. So before I go, let me tell you one last thing. Be open to how God may be calling you in your life. The Lord has a mission for you. And it's not going to look anything like the mission that others may be called to. It's going to be a mission for you. Follow the voice, even if it's not what people expect. Follow that voice anyway. And then no doubt you will also hear God say in your ear, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. And if you see Jesus, tell my cousin that John says hello and to keep up the good work. Amen. So now with the confidence that we have as the children of God, let us pray the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Remember, you can always find a recording of our service on our website, tumcd.org, on our Facebook page, or through our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. And your action items for this week, continue to pray for Trinity, continue taking up your Lenten discipline, and pray and listen for your calling, the calling that God has for you. And now receive this benediction. The holy way of God lies before us, a way that even fools cannot stray from. Let us walk in God's way with the strength and the promise of God in our hearts. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11. Next Sunday, we continue our sermon series, Easter in the First Person. How did the events of Holy Week and Easter look like to those who were there? Come hear the whole story. You'll find recordings of all our services on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Remember that we're now worshiping both in person in our sanctuary as well as online. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church. Thank you.